you got your Bibles, and I pray that you do, grab them, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. While you turn in there, I'd like to say that it is good to see one of my childhood friends here this morning. Mr. Chris Wilburn made it. Um, me and Chris, I hadn't seen him since I was a teenager. We used to coon hunt together years and years ago. And so um, it's good to see him sitting back on the back row this morning. If y'all would, if you have, you have the means and are able, we do stand for reading the Word of God. I know we stand a lot, but it's in reverence to um, the fact that this is the living and powerful Word of God. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 14, as we did last week. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, I come to you right now and I just want to ask you for, um, for your will to take place right now. Father, I pray that... Um, Whatever it is that you mean to speak from your word, that, Lord, we would just humble ourselves and we'd be obedient to listen to it, God. Father, I pray that you teach us this morning more about who you are and more about who we are in you. And, Father, I pray this morning that um, there's not a soul that leaves here that is not able to rejoice in who you declare us to be. Father, I pray this morning that if there is one that that does not know you as their Lord and their Savior, that their eyes have not been opened to their sinfulness and they have not been drawn to the gospel, to the fact that you sent your Son to die for our sins so that we can be made right with you. Father, I pray if there is one here this morning that has not experienced that, that your Spirit would draw them and that they would have no choice but to come and, Lord, to receive salvation as they put their faith and their trust in you. 
Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what it means this morning. God, again, I have no ability, I have no gift and no talent in and of myself to do anything with it. Father, I know that if you send it out, it will not return to you void. You will cause it to do what you sent it out to do. I have absolute confidence in that. And so, Father, that's my prayer. God, you send your word out. Lord, you speak what you mean to say this morning, and you just let us hear it. Father, we love you, and we praise you. And I ask you for all of these things in the name above all of the names. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we pick up where we left off last week in our study through the book of Ephesians. As I told you last week, I'm getting ready to um, just spend the next several weeks in the book of Ephesians. I'm trying my best not to pick the thing apart and end up spending the next year in Ephesians chapter 1, but um, it is difficult, I'm not going to lie. But um, we are going to go through the book of Ephesians. I'm going to try to hit the high points try my best to leave certain things alone. So if I leave a little meat on the bone for you, it's okay. Uh, Go home and pick it apart all that you want. I pray that as we preach through this and as we study through it together that you find a little meat on the bone. I pray that you're able to go home and that it inspires you and encourages you to dig and look for, for what God has to say to us in it. As I told you last week, (coughs) excuse me, Chapters 1 through 3 in the book, basically Ephesians is split into two parts. Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 is about the doctrine and the beliefs of the church. It's basically Paul telling us, this is what God says about you. And this is what we believe that God has done. And and so he lays out this doctrine, these beliefs that the church is supposed to believe. And then... From chapters 4 through chapter 6, he actually lays out um, basically the practical application of these doctrinal beliefs. So in other words, based on what we believe as a church, this is how you live it out. To give you a, uh, just a couple of key verses that show us an example of that, uh, if you got your Bibles, and I, I, I didn't give the media guy this stuff, so he's going to have a hard time keeping up with me this morning. I apologize. Um, he thinks I'm doing what I was doing last week, and I, I changed that. So um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to need you to turn to it. I don't know if he can find it fast enough or not. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Listen, listen to these couple of key verses. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And so one of the key beliefs that that the Apostle Paul and that God more importantly wants us to understand is that we have peace with God through the sacrifice of His Son and that no matter what walk of life you come from, Jew, Gentile, black, white, it don't make any difference. No matter where you come from, we're all on the same playing field with God. We were sinners in rebellion to Him, sinners that were enemies of God, and yet... For those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He is our peace. But now, as a result of that, now move over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. You remember I said this is the dividing line. 
Ephesians chapter 4 begins the practical application. And so in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Paul was in prison when he wrote this. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Remember, you have been called to believe in Jesus. You've been called to peace with God. You've been called to be one with your brothers and sisters and to grow in faith together. And he says, so I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then verse 2, here's how you do it. With all humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, and so on and so on. And then all the way through chapter 6 is all about this is what your doctrinal beliefs that we believe, this is what it looks like lived out. And these are the practical steps that you take in order to do this. And so as we go through this book of Ephesians, it is my hope that what you see in it is that God has established the church, all the believers of Jesus Christ who have peace with Him, He has put them together for the purpose of nourishing one another's faith, using the gifts that God gives to each one of us to apply them to each other so that Nick's faith grows, my faith grows, Fagan's faith grows, so that my humility grows, my long-suffering grows, my gentleness grows, my kindness grows, all the things that make me more like Jesus Christ, it grows as He puts me together and makes me one with other believers. And so ultimately, I'm praying that you see that the church, the body of gathered believers for the purpose of growing each other's faith. This is God's design for your holiness. This is God's plan A for your holiness, and there is no plan B. If you are not involved in the church, I'm not talking about a building. Hear me out. I'm not talking about just coming to a building. There are people that come to church every Sunday morning that are not actively involved in the church, in the nourishing of each other's faith. But if you are not actively involved in the gathering of God's people for the purpose of nourishing and cherishing faith in Christ, then I'm telling you, I fear for your sanctification and therefore I fear for your salvation, just to be honest with you. This is God's plan A. He didn't put a plan B in place. He didn't say, okay, you'll be made Christ-like by doing this over here if you're not involved in the church, which is God's design. He didn't say that. He said, this is my design, this is the way that I have formed it, this is what I have put together. And yes, it can be frustrating, yes, it is hard many times, but it is the design that I have put in place for you to grow in Jesus Christ. And I hope that you're able to see that as we go through the book of Ephesians. However, going back to Ephesians chapter 1, we have to start with the doctrine and the beliefs. And the first thing that Paul concentrates on in chapter 1 is who we are in Jesus Christ. Basically, I've titled the message, Who God Declares Believers to Be. Who God Declares His Church to Be. It don't matter what you think about me or what you say I am. It don't matter what I think about Nick or what I say Nick is. The question is, who does God say that Nick is? As a believer, 
I don't care what Nick's history is. I don't care what his past is. I don't care what he did this morning before he came to this building. God still looks at Nick apart from his works, apart from what he's done or what he will do. God looks at Nick as a believer, as one in faith, and he declares that he is this. And so let's see who God declares you to be. Let's start going through these very quickly. We'll start with uh, verse 1. He says, first off, Paul. I am Paul. I'm the author of this thing. And just so you know a little bit about me, I used to murder people like you. I used to be one that was an enemy of the church. I prosecuted the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 through 10, I believe it is. Paul said, I am the least of the apostles. Not even worthy to be called an apostle. Here it is, he found it. Because I persecuted the church of God. But, going to verse 10, he, has a, he starts it with a but. He says, listen, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. I'm not worthy to be in this ministry that I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let me tell you something that Paul knows about himself before he ever writes this book. Paul said, God did not look into my future and see that I'm going to do this and I'm going to do great things and I'm going to be faithful to Him. God never looked at me and said, based on who Paul is, I'm going to call him to be an apostle. God never said that. Paul said very plainly, I am who I am for one reason and one reason alone. You know what that is? The grace of God. You know what the grace of God is? Undeserved mercy. I do not deserve His mercy. I do not. I am the least worthy one to be here. Let me tell you something about Kevin Wells you may not know. Most of you know it very well. You can see it very clearly. I am not worthy to be here. I am the least one qualified in this building to be a pastor, to preach the Word of God. I am the least one worthy. But, guess what? By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me, it's not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them. But then listen the way he ends it in verse 11. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Even the work that I do, look what he said, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not me that's even doing the work. I can't take no credit for this. Everything I have comes from Him. And as a result of that, even the work that I do, no matter how hard it is and no matter how good I do, even that is His grace toward me. Even that is grace. So here's what Paul wants you to know. Back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. First off, I am Paul, the one that used to persecute persecute the church. I am not worthy to be here. I'm the least worthy to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. But guess what? Here's why I'm Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Because it is by the will of God. Now this is important because all throughout Ephesians, Paul wants you to understand that everything God does has two main themes behind it. It was the will of God and it was by the grace of God and that was it. 
when he says God did this to you and God did this to you, it was not because he looked at you and said, I know that Tammy Mathis is going to be a good Christian. And so because Tammy's going to be a good Christian, I'm going to save her. No. By the grace of God and by the will of God before the foundations of the earth were ever created, God looked into Tammy's future and he said, you know what? I'm going to save her. I'm going to pick her. I'm going to choose her. She is going to be mine. And we're going to get into a little bit more about that. Let me, get, let me keep going. So this is uh, from the Apostle Paul. He is an apostle, but not by anything in him. It's just by the will of God and the grace of God. He wants us to know that. This is to all the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Saints are simply people that have been called to be holy in Christ Jesus. They're people that have been washed by the blood of Jesus. That's it. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He has declared that you are a saint. Again, not because of anything you do, but because of what He has done for you. So you are a saint, and this letter is to you. This letter is actually, it says here, who are in Ephesus. If you have certain translations of the Bible, you'll have special footnotes down here. There are, you have, um, I'm not trying to get all technical and give you a history lesson, but this is important for you to know. There are about 5,800 manuscripts that are original of the New Testament that were written in the Greek language. 5,800 copies, original copies, all right? Now we have the technology today to be able to, to combine all of those and see how they agree and how they, how they look together. You have over 10,000 that are, I think, Arabic, I believe was the, the language, no, Latin, I'm sorry. You have over 10,000 that were written in Latin. 10,000 original copies. And then you have some, I think close to 10,000 more copies of other languages that were written that are original manuscripts of the New Testament. Many of those manuscripts say to the saints who are in Ephesus, many of them. Some of them say to the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. If you have certain versions of the Bible, there will be a special footnote that will tell you that down there, that some manuscripts say in Ephesus, some manuscripts just say to the saints who are faithful. Here's the point. There are many that believe that this letter was not just written to Ephesus. That when Paul, The reason this letter is so impersonal and it don't focus on specific people is because this letter, when Paul wrote it, he meant for every church to read it. And so the truth of the matter is, it is very likely that even though Paul didn't know Wells Baptist Church, that when he wrote this letter, he meant for Wells Baptist Church to read this letter and for it to be personal to you. And so this is to you, the saints who are in Christ Jesus. And so he says to the saints who are in Ephesus or in any church and are faithful in Jesus Christ, he says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's both your Greek and your Jewish greetings. I'm not going to get into that. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This first word blessed is an adjective and it means this. It means to speak well of or to be worthy of praise. And so with this being a descriptive word, talking about someone who is worthy of praise, here's what he's saying. He's saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying that, here's, here's what he's saying, church. God is good, y'all. 
God is worthy of our praise, guys. And here's why He's worthy of our praise. Because He has blessed us. This word blessed is a verb that means to bestow upon with grace. In other words, to give you what you don't deserve, to bless you with all the things that you don't deserve. So God is so good, y'all, because He has bestowed upon you all the things that you don't deserve, especially every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Anything that God has to do with your spiritual life that you need, whether you deserve it or not, He has given it to you. And so here He starts out in verse 4 by declaring what He has given to you. Here's, what the, here's why God is so good, is basically what Paul is saying. In verse 4 He says, first off, He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world were ever created. He chose us. Before the foundations of the world were ever created, God looked into your future and He said, I choose you. Now this is a hard doctrine and a hard concept to understand and I'm not even going to go into all of that. If you were here Wednesday night, you know a little bit about what this means. But the point being is this. If you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, it is not because you chose God. No, as a matter of fact, Jesus says very plainly, you did not choose me. I chose you. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father or the Spirit draws him. You can't even come to me unless I draw you. And so here's one of the things that Paul wants you to understand. Before you were ever created, God made a decision to choose you. To say, I want you to be mine. I'm choosing you. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, he says very plainly that this is a gift. This is not anything that you have done. No one can boast in this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Remember, by grace you've been saved. What is grace? Undeserved, right? It ain't something you did to deserve it. By grace you have been saved. And He's able to do it through faith, through your trust in Him. Not And, and look, I love this next part right here. And this is what? Can you get any more clear than that? This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. He gave it to you as a gift, but then keep reading. Look what he says. It is not a result of works so that no one may boast. Here's the thing about it. No one will ever be able to say, well, God knew that I was going to, and that's why. So God looked into my future and said, well, because of his faith, I'm going to. No. Because then it wasn't based on grace. It was based on what? Me. This is what I was going to do. And God says, before the foundations of the world were ever created, before you did anything good or bad, before you ever did anything right or wrong, I chose you. I chose you to be mine. And that is an amazing, amazing doctrine to understand. Paul wants you to hear God say, I chose you and feel the same unworthiness that Paul felt. Remember Paul said, listen, it wasn't nothing I did. It is only by the grace of God that I am who I am. 
And Paul felt this unworthiness. He said, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this any more than anybody else in the world. But by the grace of God, ain't you glad this morning that He chose you? He chose me. I love, I, I, I was listening to a testimony of a young lady one time. I don't remember who she was. I only remember where I heard it. But I remember she was talking about the beauty of this doctrine in her life. She said, you know, nobody has ever chose me in my life for anything. She said, when I was born, my parents didn't even choose me. She said, I don't know who they are. She said, my, my foster parents, most of them didn't choose me. She was never adopted, I remember that. She said, no one chose me growing up. She said, um, in, in, I remember going through school. No one ever chose me to be on a team. And every, she just went on and on about how no one has ever chosen her for anything. But when she heard the Word of God say to her that God chose her, she said that meant more to her than any doctrine that you could ever preach to her from the Word of God. God chose me? Why? Well, it wasn't based on anything that you've done. God chose you by His grace and by His grace alone. But He chose you. He wanted you. That's a beautiful, beautiful doctrine to understand. And he wants you to understand. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Number two, the second thing God declares about you. In verse 4, let's read it again. He says, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. So here's the thing you need to understand. He chose you, but He didn't just choose you just to choose you. He chose you to sanctify you. That word sanctify means to make holy. It means to make you more like Him. He chose you so that you would be holy and blameless before Him. And so He's bringing you through a sanctification process. But we miss an important doctrine a lot of times by moving from the choosing of God to the sanctification of God because there's an important step. God didn't just choose you just to be on His team. God didn't say, okay, I'm building an army here and I'm building a team and I want you to come be my servant. I want you to come serve me for the rest of your days. God said, I chose you to adopt you. Now go with me to verse 5. Let's see where I see that. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. God chose you to adopt you. Listen, guys, God don't declare just that you're His servant. No, that would have been good enough. God declares that you are His child. Y'all, please pay close attention to this doctrine this morning. It's probably going to be one of the most beautiful doctrines you've ever heard. I promise you that. God didn't just choose you to be His servant or His slave. That would have been good enough. It would have been awesome if God had have looked at us and said, Listen, you are under my wrath. You, you, you are an enemy of mine. You are in rebellion to me. You, do, you don't want me in your heart. You don't want me in your knowledge. Romans chapter 1. You don't want any of me. But I want you. And I want you to be my servant. And I'm going to save you so that you can serve me the rest of your days. If that were the case, we would still have to look at him and go, if we understand his wrath and what that means, and what he saves us from, we would still have to look at him and say, thank you, Lord. <laughs> thank you. 
I'll serve you all the days of my life. I'll work for you. I'll do everything you want. And I will put, I'll put my life into, into serving for you. That would be good. But that's not the doctrine that he teaches here. He says, I didn't save you to be my servant. I saved you to be my son. I saved you to be my daughter. I saved you to be my child. In Romans chapter 8 verse 14, if you've got your Bible, go to that because uh, we're going to be there for just a minute. Romans chapter 8 verse 14, I want you to see this. Because there's a difference in the spirit mentality of slavery and the spirit mentality of sons and daughters. And so let's see what Romans has to say about it. In Romans chapter 8 verse 14 through 17. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. In other words, here's what he's saying in this. <coughs> Excuse me. He's saying that there is a spirit of slavery or a spirit of servanthood that is a fearful spirit. It's a spirit that says, okay, God loves me and God has saved me as long as I do this and this and this and this. And as long as I please Him by being obedient and this and this and this and this. But if I'm disobedient or if I fall short, then, you know, the truth of the matter is He'll probably reject me or He'll punish me. Or maybe his love for me won't be anymore. That, that's a slave mentality. That's a servant mentality spirit. And God said, listen, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Or in other words, Abba is just simply the Hebrew word that says Daddy. You are my daddy. You are my father. That's the spirit you receive. Not the spirit of fear that worries about falling short or not being obedient enough in order to continue to receive his love. But instead, he says, you have received the spirit of adoption that understands that we are sons and we are daughters of God of all creation it's not about whether or not I have disappointed God and God has stopped loving me. But when you understand this doctrine of adoption, you understand that God could no more stop loving you as His child than you could, as a parent could stop loving your child. Now you think about that for just a minute. You think about this. Say, imagine that we've um, got Fagan over here, got his favorite son. I don't know if it's his favorite or not, but got one of his sons up here on the front row, Mr. Nick King. Suppose you were to hear Fagan say, Nick, listen, I love you. Or at least I did love you. But then you, you did that thing that you did, and now, I'm sorry, but my love is gone. How foolish does that sound? How foolish do you think that sounds to Fagan? That sounds pretty stupid, right? Listen, children hurt you, don't they? Come on, parents. Children hurt you, don't they? They disappoint you, don't they? There's no pain like kid pain. Can I get an amen? But they never stop being your child, right? Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7 that if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father who is perfect know how to give good gifts to His children? Now in that context, think about it like this. 
If you fathers and mothers, being sinners and evil, know how to love your child through hurts and disappointments. If you, let me say that one more time, guys, because I don't think you're still understanding this spirit of adoption yet. That you're not a slave, you're not a servant, you're a child of the King. If you as mothers and fathers who are evil because you're sinners, if you know how to love your children through hurts and disappointments and they still be your children, how much more does your Father in heaven who is perfect in every way know how to love you through hurts, through disappointments, because He is your Father and you are His child. That's what the doctrine of adoption means. It means that no matter where you are or what you have done, if you have heard the gospel call, and again, I'm not talking about somebody who says that they've heard the call of Christ and yet they've never come out of their sin. They're not fighting with sin because there's a lot of people that say, well, you one of those preachers that's preaching this whole, all you got to do is pray this prayer and then you good from here on out, whatever you do. That's not what I said and that's not what Romans said. Look back with me at Romans chapter 8 again, starting in verse 12. Romans chapter 8 verse 12. So then, brothers... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Listen to verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that if there is a war going on inside of you, if you understand that God is calling you out of darkness into His marvelous light, it's not about how many times you fell down, how many times you've disappointed. It's about one question. Are you in the battle? If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body and you're led by the Spirit of God, then you are sons of God. And if God has chosen you, to adopt you, He could no more stop loving you no matter how far you have fallen any more than you could stop loving your child no matter how far they fail. Ain't that good news? Listen, here's what I want to say to you. Stop offending God by thinking that you're better at parenting than He is. Let me say that one more time because y'all didn't feel that. Stop offending God by thinking that you are better at parenting than He is. Listen, don't ever think to yourself, well, I can love my children when they disappoint me. But I don't know if God can love me still when I disappoint Him. Do you really think that you're better at parenting than He is, you can love your children through disappointments and hurts, but He can't love you through it? You see how important this doctrine is? That you understand you're not a servant. You're not a slave of God. You are a child of God. And God loves His children. He chose you. He chose you and He could no more stop loving you 
then you could stop loving your child. Don't think for one second you're better at parenting than he is. Let me give you a couple of reasons why we love this doctrine. And you know, this is not a doctrine you hear very much about. You don't hear about the doctrine of adoption. We usually hear about the doctrine of justification, that God has declared us not guilty by, the, by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. We usually hear about the doctrine of regeneration, that He has caused us to be born again by His Spirit, by placing His Spirit in it. You'll hear a lot about the doctrine of, of um, sanctification, that God is making us more like Him day after day. You'll hear a lot about the doctrine of glorification that one day we shall see Him even as He is. We shall be just like Him. But you never hear about the doctrine of adoption. And I believe that it is one of the most important doctrines that we ought to at least make sure we spend as much time on. And let me tell you why. Here's the first reason why I love this doctrine. The doctrine of adoption helps us to stop struggling with God's acceptance of us. The doctrine of adoption helps us to stop struggling with God's acceptance of us. We don't worry about whether His love for us is still there when we fall down. And how many of you know we fall down pretty often, don't we? Amen. I ain't got no takers on that. We fall down pretty often, don't we? But this doctrine helps us understand that God, we shouldn't struggle with our acceptance. Should we be ashamed of it? Yeah. We should be ashamed. Yeah, I mean, I've disappointed Him. Yes. But that shame should cause me to do what? Get up. Come back to Him. You remember the story of the prodigal child? Go read it if you want to know about the doctrine of adoption. Listen to this. God doesn't love you because of what you do. But He loves you in spite of what you do. God loves you because He chose you to be His child. He knows you will disappoint Him, but He treats you as sons in your disappointment with Him. He does not treat you as servants or slaves. He disciplines you. And so look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 and 8. I love what the writer of Hebrews had to say about it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 and 8. Actually, if you don't care, let's back up and start in verse, um, verse 5. He's talking about us fighting against sin and struggling in our sin. In verse 5 he says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by Him, for the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and He chastises every son whom He receives. In verse 7 He says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom His Father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And so, yes, is there going to be discipline whenever we disappoint God? Yes. Any parent who loves their child disciplines their child. If they don't discipline them, they don't love them. That's the facts of it. And so he says here that whenever we are treated as sons, when we disappoint God, it just gives us assurance that God loves us because not, not because of who we are or what we do, but in spite of who we are and what we do. 
He loves us because He has chosen us to be His children. Another reason why I love the doctrine of adoption, going back to Romans chapter 8, it gives us assurance of His love, absolute assurance of His love. In Romans chapter 8, in the context that we were talking about, we were talking about that we have not received the spirit of slavery that falls back into fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption that cries out, You are my Father, and I am your Son. And so in that context, go down with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. He says here very plainly that He created a family when He chose you. And that He predestined it, that He predestined that you be conformed to the image of His Son, that you would become holy, that you would become blameless. And He's going to sanctify you. But then keep going with me in verse 30. And those whom He predestined, He also called. In other words, if He knew before the foundation of the earth that He was going to choose you and you can't come to the Father unless the Spirit draws you, you know what He did? He called you. And those whom He called, He also justified. If He called you, He justified you. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. And then look at what he says in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? Sons, daughters, y'all listen closely, adopted children of God. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he goes on to further that statement. In verse 32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? In verse 33, Children, not slaves, not servants, children, who shall bring any charge against God's elect, against God's chosen, against the ones that He chose before the foundations of the earth. Who is there out there that can bring any charge against you? When you fall down, is there anybody that can look at you and say, well, you just messed it all up now. You're no longer a child of God. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? And he says next, it is God who justifies. God is the one that chose you and said, I count you as not guilty apart from anything you've done, but by my grace and my grace alone, I count you as not guilty. And so from that moment on, no one will ever be able to look at me and say, oh, now you're guilty. (laughs) Sorry, you were not guilty, but now, sorry, but his love's not there anymore. Now you're guilty. He says, no, it's God who justifies. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, He was raised. He is at the right hand of God. And He indeed is interceding for us. No matter what you do, no matter how far you fall as a child, your brother, your elder brother is at the right hand of the Father right now. And every time you mess up, you know what He's doing? Hey God, I understand. I remember when I was down there and I remember what this was like. And I remember the struggle with this. And I remember, and so I paid for that. And God says... Not guilty. Not guilty. 
And then in verse 35, look what he says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I love this, children. (laughs) Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? No, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure. You remember what I said the doctrine of adoption does for you? It gives us absolute assurance of His love. Look what Paul said. Paul said, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. As an adopted child, God cannot, it is impossible for Him to stop loving you. That is why you are eternally secure if you've been called, if you've been justified, and if you are fighting the good fight of faith. You are a child of His, and His love can never leave you, no matter what you do, no matter how bad you disappoint. It was never based on that to begin with. And if He didn't give it to you based on your goodness, do you think He's going to take it away based on your non-goodness? Absolutely not. Back to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to go through these last ones very very quickly. You know, here's another thing that I want you to keep in mind. I've got a little three-year-old fixing to be four. I told y'all last week that he's not my biological child. He was in a a need, and I chose to intervene in his life, and I chose him to be mine, to raise, to, to love, to make sure that he had all the protection he needed, to make sure that he had all the provision he needed, to make sure that he had everything he needed. I chose him when he was a baby. It wasn't based on anything he could bring to my life. Matter of fact, truth of the matter is, I'd been married for 19 years and without children, did whatever I want whenever I wanted, got whatever I want whenever I wanted. Um, I live my life. The truth of the matter is, and you can ask my wife, In my mind, in my heart, a child was not on the top of my list. Never has been. I enjoyed things pretty much the way that they were. But I made a decision that I'm going to give myself to this child. And I'm going to choose this child. And let me tell you something about that. I love that child. I love being with that child. I love playing with that child. Does he get on my last nerve? You got no idea. My mama raised four kids and now she babysits him while we're at work and she'll look me dead in the eye and say, I don't know how you do it. He's tough. He disappoints me. He gets smart with me. Sometimes I just want to wear his little butt. Sometimes I do. But I love this kid. 
He's mine. I chose Him. And I love spending time with Him. I hate being apart from Him. I hate it. And if this is the way that I, as an evil, sinful, earthly father, feel about a child that I have chosen, imagine what the God of all creation, the God who speaks, and a billion galaxies are formed. This God looks at you and He chooses you and He says, I love being with you. Yet, Do you get on my last nerve? Yeah. Yeah. Do you disappoint? Yeah. Yeah. But let me tell you something. I love you. I love you. I love spending time with you. I love playing with you. I love talking to you. I love being with you. And I hate any time that we're apart. That is the God that has adopted you. And as I've said many times before, He can no more stop loving you than you could stop loving your child. And I pray that that gives you assurance that nothing in all of creation would ever be able to separate you from the love of Christ that He has for you. Do y'all get that? Ephesians chapter 1, let's finish this up because I cannot spend the next year in Ephesians chapter 1. In love, in verse, I'm sorry, I'm in verse 5. In love, He predestined us for adoptions to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Why did He do it? Did He do it because of you? According to the purpose of His will, verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. Had nothing to do with you. It had to do with the fact that all we could do is look at it and say, hey, I'm not worthy to be here, but by the grace of God, I am what I am to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Verse 7, In Him we have redemption. Here we have the doctrine of redemption. Redemption just simply means to buy back. To buy back. So here's what you have. Picture this. You've got God Almighty and He sees you in the slave market. A slave to your sin is what Jesus Christ said. A slave to your sin. You're down here in this market And he sends his son and he says, Hey, you remember before the world was ever created how I chose him? Go get him. But he belongs to sin. I know it's going to cost cost us something. How many of you know adoption is expensive? It's going to cost something. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to that slave market and I want you to find Nick. I want you to look sin in the eye and I want you to say, how much? And he's going to tell you, death. But according to our glorious grace, we're going to give him what he don't deserve because that's my child. Because I want to adopt him. I want him to be mine. I love him. And so Jesus comes down to that slave market and he looks sin in the eye and he says, how much? He says, death. Okay, I'll do it. And he gives his life so that he can buy back Nick from his sin. And he can pay the price for it all. Jesus paid it all. And then God says, now I'm going to take Nick and I'm going to make him mine. Because I've redeemed him. And not only does he make him mine, but let's keep going. 
In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses because we were slaves to it, according to the riches of His grace. Every time, I want you to understand, Paul wants you to know every time, no matter what God does, it's always to the purpose of His will and to the praise of His glorious grace. It's always according to His grace. It's never anything to do with you. It's all about His goodness. It's all about His love. In verse 8, which He lavished upon us and all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of His will. In other words, it don't make no sense, does it? (laughs) Making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. This is His plan before creation. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And then in verse 11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance. God declares that you are chosen. God declares that you are redeemed. God declares that you are adopted. God declares that you are holy and that you will be sanctified and blameless. And God declares that He has an inheritance for you. God declares that because you are His child, He has made you a co-heir with Jesus Christ. I'm going to give one more scripture and I'm closing. Go with me to Romans chapter 8 verse 17. I know we've spent... Romans chapter 8 ought to be your favorite chapter right now. Romans chapter 8 verse 17. Look what it says. This is my last one in closing. And if children... Remember, He gave us the spirit of adoption, right? That cries out, Father... And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs with Christ. You know what Christ is the heir of? What does Christ get as His inheritance? Everything. Everything. The world all of creation, and even more important than that, God Himself, the Creator of all things, belongs to Him. I pray this morning that you understand everything that God declares about you is not based on you. It is based on the fact that He predestined you. He chose you. He called you. He justified you. He redeemed you. He adopted you. He's sanctifying you. And He is going to glorify you and give you an inheritance like you have never seen in your life. And all of this He does to the praise of His glorious grace because this was the purpose of His will before the foundations of the earth were ever created. So I pray that you are absolutely confident this morning that because you're a child of God, He loves you. And there is nothing that you will ever be able to do that will separate you from His love. If y'all would, stand this morning. Maybe this morning you are one that um, you don't know if you've been called. But you hear this morning that I want to be a child of God that I understand I'm a sinner in rebellion to Him and I want to put my faith and trust in Him. If that's you this morning, it is my prayer that before you leave that you hear that call of God and that you come running to Him, that you surrender yourself to Him. 
Whatever it is that He's spoken to you this morning, if you need anything at all, if you just want to humble yourself before Him to say thank you, whatever it is, I pray that you come right now as we sing. You ain't got to wait on no music. Let me tell you something. This ain't about the nice, soft music that gets played. Is it okay? Yeah. This is about what God has spoken to you. This is about what God has to say to you. And whatever God's Word has spoken to you, I pray that between you and God, you would take care of that right now. Whatever it is, come now.